Good evening and welcome to This Week in Football from the makers of Low Limit Football. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and joining me as always, my co-host, Mr. Roberto Rojas, as we bring you Group G of the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Mr. Rojas, this is a, a fun group, a challenging group. Um, I know we've talked about Group B as the group of death. Some have mentioned Group E. This is another one that's very, very close with four great teams, Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon coming out of this group. This is one of those those challenging groups uh, that's going to be difficult to predict. Ultra, ultra talented. Brazil, we know what they bring. Uh, one of the Certainly one of the big favorites to win this World Cup. Switzerland, we've seen them time and time again perform uh, and, and really punch over their over their weight and you know against giants we've seen it over and over and over again cameroon always going to be a, a big challenge and then serbia with their young talent um with guys like uh, dusan vlaovic uh, are going to be something incredible to watch as well this this is a fun group this is going to be one of the most entertaining groups in my opinion of this world cup what are your thoughts on this group as we head in yeah, I think it really is. I think you see a lot of quality and, and definitely a lot of flair and, and talent on this group. I think, yes, it, it is definitely overwhelmed by one team, and that favorite is Brazil, not just in this group, but also in the entire competition. You know, I think their quality and the talent that they have is, you know, miles ahead of everyone else, if you look at it. But that isn't to say that second place won't be a battle as well. Serbia, you know the talent that they have. You know the experience that they've had, um, you know, playing together and, and certainly causing some surprises in qualifiers. Switzerland, always a side that, you know, consistently have always been punching above their weight and have always done well in World Cups. And, you know, I think it's testament to the quality that they have at their disposal. I think, you know, of all the World Cups that they recently qualified, I think they only not made it out of the group once. So that shows how good they are as a whole. And with Cameroon, you know, obviously a, a lot of, talent on their side you know the indomitable lines are are very much a, a side in africa that i think obviously has been at world cups have shown its consistency at world cups and will definitely be able to to prove its worth at this one but yeah i think you know this world cup will definitely be an entertaining one and it definitely will not be uh one that hopefully you know knock on wood obviously won't be one that leaves us with any snooze fesses Totally agree with you. Let's jump right into it because, like I said, this is a fun group, and we had some great, great guests joining us for this group. So up first for Switzerland, Oliver Zessinger joined us. He is the head research for football manager, and he was able to preview Switzerland uh, as they head to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. So without further ado, the Oliver Zessinger interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football to preview Switzerland as they head to Group G of the 2022 World Cup, Oliver Zessinger, co-head researcher for Football Manager and freelance football scout. Oliver, welcome back to the show. It is great to have you. Um, I know we did this preview uh, four years ago, but to refresh everyone's uh, memories, what is your tie to Swiss football? First of all, thanks for having me, guys. I'm uh, very happy to be back on your uh, podcast. Uh, I am Swiss, first and foremost. Uh, I follow Swiss football for, I don't know, 30 years now, uh, even more, even longer. And I am the head researcher for Switzerland, for football manager, and I am also a freelance scout, work for several Swiss clubs and agencies. So I hopefully have the knowledge to talk about Switzerland today. And obviously, I think, you know, the Swiss side has always been a side that is always interesting to look at because of the talent of players, because of, you know, really what they have at their disposal. And I wanted to go into that because when we saw 
from Switzerland in four years. Obviously, they went to the round of 16, losing to Sweden and after getting out of a, a really tough group with Brazil, Serbia, and Costa Rica. Fast forward to the Euros, where they made it up to the quarterfinals. And looking at how they really have evolved in the last four years, and that was kind of been that's going to be my question because obviously this was a Swiss side that won their group, the group that had uh, the European champions in Italy, and they went all unbeaten. But obviously, due to more wins in their in their group, they ended up going to the World Cup automatically. Um, so I just want your thoughts on how have you seen the Swiss side evolve? Uh, in the last four years from Russia until the next few weeks until we get started in, in Qatar? I think uh, this is a case of the key players reaching their peak age. Uh, I'm talking about Shakiri, who's now 31, talking about Grani Chaka, who's 30, and talking about Manuel Akanji, who's uh, still only 26 or 27. Jan Sommer, still uh, a great player. And an influx of new, young, and exciting talent, an emerging Brandon Bolo. He was only 21 or 22 at the last uh, World Cup, so he'll be uh, in his uh, reaching his peak age as well in, his, uh, in the coming years. And then there is a Noah Okafor who's scoring, not for fun, but who's scoring very well at the Champions League level right now. So there has been an influx of young talent, and additionally to those who were already who were already established. And there are also players like uh, Sylvain Mitmer, who now is a captain in the Bundesliga side and who has basically uh, dominated the right defending side for us, uh, which, which is good because uh, fullbacks are still hard to come by for Switzerland and for other nations as well. And we do, like, Harry Seferovic is still among the top two strikers in the country, but we have options up front now with him, uh, with... Uh, Brelen Bolo and Noah Okafor. So it's not just a case of the key players becoming uh, better and reaching their peak, and it's also a case of young emerging talent coming up, and uh, exciting talent especially, and uh, give, which gives us more depth, basically. Now, Oliver, I want to go into looking at the group here, because Group G uh, is a very, very difficult group in my opinion, but at the same time, um, there's a familiarity for Switzerland versus the big te- the other big teams in this group. And I also think that this, uh, this particular World Cup starts out best for Switzerland. If, if you consider Cameroon the weakest team of the group, th- they, they do kind of get to get their feet wet um, with an unfamiliar foe. The other two foes in Brazil and Serbia are very familiar. They've faced both of them in the group stages in 2018. And this is now a, a, a Swiss side that is four years older, four years wiser and four years more experienced. So how does this group kind of play out for you, given that this is going to be a, you know, a very, very strong Switzerland side going into, uh, going into matches that they're going to be familiar with? Uh, first of all, I have to say that I think everybody was disappointed when we drew Brazil and Serbia again. And the thing is, Serbia is also four years more experienced and young talent has emerged, especially up front for them. So um, it's a really tough question. Um, On a good day, we can get a draw against Brazil. We can beat Serbia like we did in 2018. And we should be able to beat Cameroon. But everything has to click for this. Um, uh, The key key match will be the last one. Uh, I'm happy to play Cameroon first because I consider them 
probably the uh, weakest team of the group. But the key match will be the last one against Serbia, not only because it could decide who advances to the next round, but it is also a politically highly charged match. If you remember uh, at the World Cup, there was the uh, gold celebrations by Grani Chaka and Shervin Shakiri, both with Albanian descent. So um, they, they celebrated with, uh, by showing the Albanian eagle. They were provoked throughout the game. And the thing is, we have a lot of Kosovan Albanian players and they have history with Serbia. So this will be a very emotionally charged match for those players and for a lot of uh, double citizens in Switzerland as well. It is hard to predict the group. I can I can only say that I hope we can get out. It will be it will be tougher than four years ago um, because Serbia has improved because Brazil is among the favourites to win the World Cup. But we have also improved. So I'm optimistic, although we might have to wait until the final whistle of the third game to be really sure to uh, have it the most. Now, obviously, looking at the talent of players that Switzerland have, you know, you look at the likes of Jan Sommer in gold, the experienced goalkeeper in the midfield with the likes of Ashak and Shakiri, like you had mentioned, Denis Arcaria, who's playing at Chelsea. You know, you look at even the, the defense with Rodriguez, Shar, Akanji, the attack with the likes of Mbolo, Severage. So they are really, in a way, good in depth as well. So I'm curious to see, you know, for the Swiss side moving forward, how would you... Or who would you indeed pinpoint as the main guy that could help this side uh, do well in the World Cup? And if it's not any of the big names that I mentioned so far, even if it's maybe a name that hasn't been talked about a lot or maybe could indeed make a, a big impression at this World Cup, who could it be? I mean, we have a spine in the Swiss national team. That spine is Jan Sommer in goal, Manuel Kanchi at centre-back, Granit Xhaka in midfield, and Sheridan Shakiri not up front, but at least uh, a little bit more advanced. But I think one of the key players will be Breel Mbolo because he has only found form. His move to Monaco has proven to be very, very smart. Uh, he scores in Liga and uh, he has scored for Switzerland in the past couple of games. So he is a key player that uh, we will rely on because, as I mentioned earlier, we still don't have a really good goal scorer, but he could be coming close because he has every asset that he needs to become a really good striker and he's only 25 so he still has some margin of uh, improvement ahead of him and the other one is off the bench is Noah for because he has the combination of strength speed technique and he's a good finisher so um, that's those are the key players that I have to uh, that you have to look at if you're the opponent so Oliver I want to get to the prediction section of this um, you know given that the Swiss made a great run through Europe, um, you know, obviously defeating Italy and, and somewhat knocking them out of this World Cup, the European champions. Uh, the, and the experience that this team has and success that they've had against uh, their opponents in this group. What is a good uh, finish for, Sir, I'm sorry, for Switzerland uh, in this World Cup? And if they were to make a very, very deep run and, and even possibly win this tournament, what would that mean to you personally and to the people of Switzerland? I mean, I cannot imagine how it would be to win the World Cup because we've never done it. Well, we, we did win the Under-17s World Cup in 2009, which is probably still the uh, most uh, or the, the, the most successful team. Um, and many of the, or a 
some of those players are still playing for the national team uh, today. But uh, I think there would be three days of drinking, uh, of uh, of celebrating, of uh, people grabbing each other's faces and saying, "I can't believe it." And then, as as we are Swiss, then everybody would go back to work after those, those three days. <laughs> It's a three-day celebration, and that's it. Everyone back to work. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, where do you think this team will finish? Uh, I'm going to be positive, Pete, for once here, because mm. I believe in this group, and this group has shown recently in the Nations League by beating Spain and the Czech Republic that they can beat big teams. Uh, if the final match against Serbia stays calm, and if the team performs to its potential, I think a quarterfinal should be the goal and could be realistic. Um, uh, probably, at the, usually that depends on uh, the opponent in the round of last 16 and so on and so forth. But I think we should aim, as we always do, for a quarterfinal. We have shown at the Euros that we can reach a quarterfinal of a, of a big tournament. But, uh, yeah, there are a lot of uh, struggles along the way to reach that goal. Fantastic stuff. Oliver, thank you for joining us on the show and previewing Switzerland as they head to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. All the best of luck to Switzerland and uh, best of luck to you, sir, as uh, as uh, you cover the uh, tournament. Thanks, guys. And special thanks again to Oliver for joining us on the show. Next up, we have Suleiman Folarin. African football journalist and the face of African sports joining us to discuss Cameroon as they make their way to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. So without further ado, the Suleiman Fullerin interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football to cover Cameroon as they make their way from Group G to the 2022 World Cup. Suleiman Fullerin, African football journalist joining us. Sully, welcome back. It is great to catch up with you again, my friend. Uh, I Let's refresh the listeners uh, to your ties to covering African football. Um, my ties to covering African football is um, it's quite long. It's quite extensive. I mean, I've been covering football for over two decades. I've been covering sports for about 22 years now. Going on, actually, no, 20, 24 years, actually. I just, I just, I just, um, I, I cheated myself. Yeah, about 24 years. But I've um, been in America since the um, early 2000s, and um, I work, I still actually in some capacity work with being sports because they have the rights to all the Africa contents on, on the network. So um, I'm, I'm still like the face of, um, of Africa content for being sports here in the U.S. So the Africa Cup of Nations, the, um, the CAB Champions League, the, the, the Women's Africa Cup of Nations, and all those, anything related to African football on this side of the planet, on this side of the um, side of the pond, as 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 the folks like to say. But that doesn't necessarily just you know reduce me to African football. But that's that's the specialty that I bring to the table for um, for Africa Network. And obviously, you know, looking at what you've been doing um, during this kind of evolution, you'd say, of African football. We've seen the likes of Cameroon go to World Cups, and this is the team we're talking about right now as they head back to the World Cup. And, you know, honestly, it's it's been quite of an interesting ride because, you know, obviously this was a side that did not make it to the last one. The last World Cup was back in 2014 where they finished dead last out of all the 32 teams uh, in Brazil. They're back at the World Cup thanks to a, a win against Algeria, a, a dramatic game against against Algeria. 
where we saw uh, Tokokambi scoring in the last minute in Algiers to put them into the World Cup winning on away goals. So I wanted to ask, really, Sly, how have you seen this Cameroonian side over the last four years getting to this point and really just kind of the mood for them uh, as they challenge another World Cup? Um, that's a great question. Um, we, we backtrack to after that 2014 World Cup. That was a disastrous World Cup for, for Cameroon, where we saw um, Alex Song hitting a player in the back. There was just the height of indiscipline with that Cameroon national team. But a lot has definitely changed since then. They went on to win the Africa Cup of Nations, beating Egypt in the finals. Um, you mentioned and touched on Cameroon um, qualifying at the expense of Algeria. It's also let's also remind people that Cameroon lost the first leg at home, one 0 They before that had fired their coach, who gave who took them to a third place win, Conte um, Sao at the Africa Cup of Nations at home. And within that period, Samuel Eto'o became their legend, one of, the, one of the, arguably the, the biggest name in African football mm. by far, you know, the most decorated African player ever. He became the president of the, the federation, Fekafoot, and he decided he wanted Rigobert Song, a, a former teammate and a friend, as the head coach of the national team. So when they lost to Algeria in the first leg, there was a picture that was circulating and it just became almost like a meme. Like, you know, did I make a mistake hiring my, my good friend here? But they went to Blida, a home that Algeria never loses at. A tough away match. And they got a win there. A lot of teams do not go to that location and get a win. Cameroon did that. Blida is, is, is arguably like Fort Knox for Algeria. You don't go there and get a win. And like you said, Kartoko Kambi got the winner for the Indomitable Lions. And they're heading to, you know, Qatar 2022, which was is a big shocker for anyone. When you, when you look at the pairings, no one ever thought Cameroon would beat Algeria. Granted, Algeria had a, 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 pretty, a, a pretty abysmal Africa Cup of Nations tournament. They didn't advance out of the group stage. But up until then, they were unbeatable, unstoppable. They had this record that, you know, they were the they were the winningest team in football, period. You know, went went to Qatar and won the Arab Cup. They just they looked unstoppable. So when they when there was a quote unquote check in their armor at the African Cup of Nations, everyone still thought they would beat Cameroon. Cameroon did not look like the team that could handle this Algeria side. Going back now, this Cameroon team definitely, they might have not had the talent of Algeria, but they had the determination from Onana Ngo to Maxim Chupumutin, Karto Kurekambi, Vincent Abubakar, the team captain, um, Georges Manjek, and a host of other players. <clears throat> I expect them to do well at the, at the World Cup. But my expectation and the reality are always two things. So we'll see what happens. So let's jump into that because uh, obviously they, they got drawn into a very, very, very difficult group. Um, you know, some would argue is the group of death. Uh, they're going to open their match. They're open. I'm sorry, their group G, uh, you know, quest uh, with Switzerland on November 24th. Then they have to face Serbia and then talk about going from the frying pan into the fire. They're going to close against Brazil, uh, you know, 
in this World Cup on December 2nd. They're going to open against a team they've never faced before in Switzerland, uh, and then the familiarity will increase as they go on because they faced uh, Serbia, well, once, and then they, they faced uh, Brazil a few times. There is a lot of mystery in terms of how Cameroon will be able to perform against many teams that are that are seen as strong sides going into this World Cup. How do you feel uh, Cameroon breaks uh, breaks down, or how do they uh, manage this particular group, which could be the group of death, to be honest? I think Cameroon has the talent <clears throat> to be able to to play at the level of Serbia. If they can get a draw against Switzerland, I mean, it's, Switzerland is not unbeatable. They're, they're a very good team. But this Cameroon team also has a lot of good players in the midfield. One of them is Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa, who's playing lights out at Napoli right now. He's part of the reason why Napoli is top in Syria, alongside Victor Osimhen as well, joint top scorer in the league. But that is one player that will determine how Cameroon's midfield goes. He, we, we saw him. He didn't really perform very well at, uh, at Fulham when he was in the Premier League. But he's been a breath of fair share to watch for Napoli. Because if you like Serie A, you actually want to see somebody outside of Juventus or Milan or Inter dominate the league. And seeing Napoli do that, he's played a huge role in it. So what he does in that Cameroon midfield will play a huge role. Same with Georges Manjek as well. They will have to play a big role in trying to stifle Granit Xhaka, um, Jeden Shakiri, for example, in that, in that Switzerland midfield. I, I don't think Serbia is unbeatable because Ghana has had history with Serbia in the past. And African teams have, have had some good, some, some good results against teams from that part of the, part of the European bloc. So I don't see that as a problem. I think what's great for Cameroon is the fact that their last game is against Brazil. Because starting your World Cup against arguably, in my opinion, one of the top three teams looked at to win this World Cup, you don't want to start your World Cup with that team. You, want, you, you should be happy that that's the game that's coming last, right? Brazil probably would have qualified and advanced already by then. They have a, you know, riches of talent, so they might not necessarily play the, the, the top guys. They still, I mean, even everyone who's going to play is going to be a top player, whether it's Allison or Edison and go, you know, pick your poison, you know. But it's still a better option playing them third rather than playing them first. So I feel like they do have the potential to do something. The question is, where is the heart? Um, there was a video, I don't know if you guys ever saw this, of Samuel Atoll. It circulated where he literally berated the team, you know, told them that he's busy out there fighting for them. He expects them to come and give 100%, that anyone that's not ready to give 100% will not be going to the World Cup. So there was a fire. The, 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 the Federation head has, has lit a fire underneath the team. It's now up to the players to now go to the World Cup, to go to Qatar, do invariably what they did in Blida at least twice to see if they can, you know, catch fire and advance out of that group. So obviously looking at that and the way that they're going to be successful will be dependent on the players that uh, the manager song will have to choose. Now looking at some of them that we had mentioned already, the likes of Angisa and, you know, looking at the attack with Abubakar, Mbwemo, uh, Toko Kambi, you know, Trouble Moting as well. There's a lot of talent on this Cameroonian side. So in your opinion, what do you feel as if though Cameroon can indeed be successful 
based on which specific players. And and really, how do you see this Cameroonian side setting up against, obviously, the three powerhouse or well, two powerhouses in Europe and obviously one big powerhouse um, let, in Brazil? Let's be, let's be fair, though. Switzerland and Serbia are not powerhouses in Europe. Well, I'd say in the... They, yeah, they, they, they've, had, they've, had blip, they've had good results here and there, Switzerland, but not necessarily Serbia. Fair enough. Brazil yes. is the one team in that group that stands above everyone talent wise play just how good they look so cameroon does have a chance against these other two european sides the beauty is cameroon brings speed athleticism and physicality that's the one thing that african football has been known for we're very very physical and it will be to their advantage to play to their strength it could be a pro and a con right one of the one of the biggest cons for african teams is the last two world cups every african team has conceded a goal off a set piece in 2014 by end of match day by the end of the group stages every team had conceded by 2018 by the end of match day one every single one of them had conceded whereas was not north african teams in egypt tunisia or morocco or Nigeria, wherever it was, every single one of them had conceded a goal off of set piece. So tactical discipline is going to play a huge role in how Cameroon plays. Now, don't forget that Cameroon is being coached by a legend. Outside of Samuel Lato, Rigobert Song is a player that a lot of these kids looked up to, whether it's, it is a kid that was born in Europe in um, Eric Maxim Chupomoting, or in Belmo, who plays at, um, at Brentford, these guys, all the local players like Vincent Abubakar or your uh, Angisa, these players have looked up to these older names of Cameroonian football that have that played at that highest level, that that were regarded as some of the best players in their positions in the world. So when you have that guy telling you that you can do it, and your federation head is a guy who's won Pichichis, won La Liga titles and Champions League titles at both in both in both um Spain and, and Italy and I think three Champions League titles, it's possible. You're telling them that they can do it. Now, Brazil's a different kettle of fish, but against Serbia and against uh Switzerland, I think they have what it takes. Also do not forget, Andrea Nana is in goal for Cameroon. He is the starting goalkeeper for Inter. So Cameroon does not have some unknown individual as their goalkeeper. They actually have a guy who is playing at a club that is in the top five in Syria, in Andrew Anana, a club that is known as one of the biggest clubs in the Italian league. So if he can play at that level with the quality of players on the team, whether it's um, uh, Romelu Lukaku or he's benching Handanovic, that tells you that the quality is there. Now, do they have some aging legs? They do. Let's, I, I feel like they have what it takes and they do have the quality, whether in goal, in the midfield, <clears throat> and also in attack. Let's jump into predictions. Um, and I agree with you on Onana. He's, he's an absolute stud, so um, no argument for me there. But let's talk about predictions. Obviously, this is a, this is a difficult group uh, for anyone to manage. I'll tell you, even for Brazil to manage, I think this is going to be a difficult group because every single team offers challenges to uh, the, their opponents here. So for you, what do you think would be a successful World Cup for Cameroon? 
Um, and if they did advance out of the group and and very very deep into this uh, World Cup, what would it mean for for Cameroonian football? What would it mean for the people of Cameroon? I think it would mean it would mean a lot for them for Cameroonian football to to for them to advance out of the group stage, right? Samuel Eto'o came preaching this this notion of change, helping grow women's football, helping grow the game, and bringing Cameroon back the the respect that its football had, right? Um, it would mean a lot because it would show progress, even though he just became president a year ago. It would show instant progress and it would show that the work is being done. I think what what's most important would be for, for Cameroonians to see hope because they looked at the African Cup of Nations and felt like we came third in a tournament that we should have made it to the finals and at least have pushed Senegal or Egypt. So going to the World Cup where it's only Senegal that's going and Egypt's not going because they lost at the expense of Senegal, they would see that as progress. A second round advancement, making it to the quarterfinals, that would literally match the best thing that Cameroon did in the 90s. Everybody remembers when they beat Romania and they beat um, Argentina and literally mauled Diego Maradona, the late Diego Maradona, may so rest in peace, in the first game in Italian 90, went on to beat Colombia from two off of two goals from Raja Mila, one of them being a, a, a giveaway by Rene Higuita of Colombia. You know, when you when you factor those things in, if they can match that, that's the golden generation of Cameroon in football. A second round performance would be would be regarded as, you know what, they did a good job. They they were able to maneuver a tough group that had Switzerland and Serbia, in, in, in the words of Roberto, powerhouses, European powerhouses. I wouldn't call them that, but, you know, just tongue-in-cheek. They, they were able to match and be able to handle those teams and advance from that group. You have to give them credit for that, you know. And, and, and regardless of whatever the scoreline would be against Brazil, I think it would be a good, would be a good thing if, if they're able to advance and make it to the second round. Cameroon fans will see that as progress. So... Again, a, a legendary name in Roger Mila, another de- legendary maiden, Suleiman Fuller. And Sully, thank you for joining us and previewing Cameroon for the 2022 World Cup. All the best to you, my friend, and the best to Cameroon as they head to Qatar for the World Cup themselves. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good one. And special thanks again to Suleiman for joining us on the show. Next up, we have the legendino himself, Tim Vickery, South American football journalist, to join us to break down one of the big favorites in the 2022 World Cup, Brazil. So without further ado, the Tim Vickery interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football to preview Brazil, the favorites for this World Cup in Group G, Tim Vickery, freelance journalist covering Brazil and South American football. Tim, welcome back to the show. We're always, uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Um, obviously, I've kind of alluded to it, uh, but I'd like you to go into it in your, your lengthy coverage of South American football over the years. Yeah, well, just think, gentlemen, in three months' time, it will be all over. But isn't that an extraordinary statistic? You know, in three months from now, the World Cup will be will be history. Uh, it's uh, it's all going to happen very very quickly, and it's a World Cup. If we can just put aside um, the ethical issues of where it's been played and when it's been played and how we've got there and so on, if we, if we can put those to one side, if that's possible, it's a World Cup that I'm thoroughly looking forward to, because it, it's not a World Cup that suffers from 
the usual problem of, of recent World Cups, which is end-of-season burnout. We'll see the best players at close to their peak, their, their, their peak physical condition. You mentioned Brazil there as favourites, but there's no real way of knowing because as a result, a little bit of the pandemic, but also certainly of the Nations League, there's been almost no national team football between Europe and South America since the last World Cup. Um, Brazil have only played one European opponent, the Czech Republic. Uh, so it's very, very hard to judge the respective merits of the big contenders. Uh, and that's one of the things that I'm really looking forward to. It's a little bit like the World Cups um, before your time, I think. You know, my, the, the world first World Cups that I remember, where you know, it, was, it was only during the tournament that you discovered who was who and what was what. And uh, we're going to get that again. So uh, I'm thoroughly looking forward to it. And certainly, obviously, this is a competition where Brazil have always dominated. I mean, it doesn't need any introduction. 58, 62, 70, 94, 2002, five-time winners, the most ever by a team in this World Cup. But it is the second longest drought that they've gone through over the last uh, couple of years. It's, you know, it's been 20 years since they won the World Cup, Tim, and you know, just I just want your general analysis of how you viewed this Brazil side since that elimination from against Belgium and Russia. Ended up winning the Copa America on home soil the next year, losing it on in the final against Argentina last year, and now heading into it two months' time. How have you seen this kind of evolution of Chichi's side uh, before the tournament starts? I think they're better than they were four years ago, and I think they were pretty good four years ago. Um, for me, that, that quarterfinal against Belgium was the game of the tournament. Uh, and Brazil was surprised early on, and I think they made, they made one or two selection mistakes probably. Um, but I think they clearly deserved to take that game into extra time. And I suspect they would have won it. I think the momentum was, was, was with them. So they weren't that far off four years ago. And I think they're certainly ahead of where they were then. And this time round, it's the same coach, and he's had a complete four-year cycle. And that makes a difference because uh, there's been lots of international football um, in, in recent times. And it, it's given him the chance to consolidate a team, to have a look at, at, at tactical variations. And the whole thing, I think, if, if 2018 wasn't at all bad, 2022 looks considerably better. There are some very fine teams in this World Cup, um, but I think it's going to take a very fine team on a very good day to beat Brazil. And I want to jump into the group because obviously this is where it's going to all start for Brazil on the 24th of November, uh, where they take on Serbia. And for Brazil, you know, when I was starting to do a little bit of my research into this group, looking back at the draw, this is kind of a group that has really broken well for Brazil. Um, they have familiarity with Serbia. They've they've beaten them in the 2018 World Cup. They have familiarity with Switzerland from the 2018 World Cup. They have some familiarity even with Cameroon, um, although not as recent. Going back to 2014, this is a this is a, a a group that really I think for me sets up very well for Brazil, especially given the depth of the squad. What were your thoughts of this group as it broke out, and 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 how do you see it? Yeah, it is it is an accessible group. Although, and this is one of the things that, that Chichi learned four years ago, you know, that he saw that no one trembled against Brazil. And he saw the, 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 the pride with which all teams were prepared to represent their country in, in the World Cup. And they kick off against two European opponents. Yes, opponents they know from four years ago. But it is a different challenge from the one 
the ones that they've been facing in South America. And I've just been watching today uh, Venezuela and Iceland in a friendly in Austria. And uh, Iceland pressed up very high. And it was really hard for Venezuela to play their way out. And that's not a challenge that they've, they've been facing against most of the South American teams. So, you know, the European teams, they may do something something similar. They, they, they may present Brazil with a challenge that Brazil haven't been facing in, uh, in all of these matches that they've played against South American opposition with now one or two friendlies against other sides. So in the, that they would love, Brazil would all this time, all they've wanted is to fix up friendlies against European opponents, and they haven't been able to do so. They've had so that they've had to make do with with what they can, you know. And the, the uh, after qualification, first they fixed up a tour to the, the Far East and played the South Korea and Japan, and now they're playing a couple of African opponents in in Ghana and and Tunisia. So, playing European opponents in a competitive match context. That's something that they haven't done since the defeat to, uh, to to Belgium. So it's going to be fascinating to see if the Europeans present them with a different challenge and how Brazil work their way out of that challenge. And certainly, obviously, when you look at the team as a whole and you look at the squad, you know, I think we're all in agreement. This side is better than what it was four years ago, not just because the players have gotten better, but also some new players coming in as well during the last four years. So, you know, Tim, I just wanted to ask, how you view this Brazil side from a squad um, perspective and, and really what do you feel is the strongest thing that this Brazil's team has that could indeed make them the challenges for this World Cup? Well, the fact that they've had a complete cycle means that collectively they can be further down the road than they were four years ago because they've had a chance to, to look at more variations and bed certain things in. Um, there, there's, there's three ways of playing. We're speaking on the eve of Brazil's game against Ghana, where they're going to have a look at, it looks like they're going to have a look at their third formation, uh, an, an extra attacking formation. Um, that the front, the main two, they've got one with two out and out wingers uh, and, and Neymar is a false nine. Uh, and another where they drop one of the wingers and bring in a centre forward. Um, the one they're looking at against Ghana is one where they, they get to play two wingers plus a centre forward. Um, because they drop uh, the central midfielder Fredji and, and play Lucas Paquita, who's just joined West Ham in a in, in a deeper role. So it's the most attacking of these three formations. So having all that time to do that collective work uh, means I think they're much further down the line than they were four years ago. Um, if you look at the team and, it, and its strengths, the defensive unit they've concede they concede very few goals and and they rarely look like conceding goals. Uh, they've got some top-class centre-backs, some, some top-class goalkeepers as well. And the thing that has really changed the mood here is since they lost the final of the, the, the Copa America in the middle of last year, the explosion of some of these attacking talents. Um, Hafinha coming into the Brazil, Brazil side, he was pretty much unknown when he first got into the, got into the squad. Uh, and I, I don't think in all my time here, I don't think play, I've seen a player who's ever started... With the with uh, in the Brazil team as if he'd spent his whole life there, um, the explosion of Vinicius Junior as as an international star, uh, even Anthony, you know, uh, who uh, you know moving from Ajax to, to United, putting pressure on these these uh, two wingers, uh, so all of this helps take pressure off Neymar because it's going to be a, a a moment where Neymar is under intense pressure. It is going to be the defining moment of his international career. 
um, how he's judged by his compatriots, how his legacy is judged by his compatriots will stand or, f- or fall by what happens o- over the next few months. Uh, and I think the fact that the World Cup is happening November, December is beneficial to him because if you look at his career in Europe, he's played a lot, of, uh, many times he's played his best football in that time of the year. And it's after the new year that the injuries have, have, have tended to, to, to come in. So uh, it, it looks like a side, maybe if, if there was an area of the side that you think is not as good as, as some of the competitors, it would be central midfield. Um, but the defensive unit is very, very tight, lots of attacking options. And they've had this time, as I say, to, to bed in a, a number of ideas of play. Tim, I want to jump in here quick because I know we're still talking about the players to watch in this particular World Cup for Brazil. But I want to ask as a collective, and you can include Chichi in this as well. Did they learn any lessons um, when they lost the 2021 uh, Copa America to Argentina? Any lessons that they can carry forward into this World Cup? Well, I think there's there's one lesson, which is uh, don't be over petulant. You know, the, 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 the second, second half, Brazil are chasing the game. And that, that it's always the test of a team, you know, when you go a goal down, how do you react? Uh, and it's not a situation that they found themselves in many times. Um, but they didn't react very well when they lost, when, it, when they went down, a goal down to Argentina. You know, because it, it's, it's in Argentina's interest to waste time and to get involved in little spats. And, and Brazil followed them too much into that. And there are a few petulant players in the team. So you'd hope, you know, any, any story of success is always predicated on, on uh, failure. There's always, there's always failure along the way. Uh, and uh, you would hope from a Brazil point of view that one of the lessons that they've learned is to keep a cooler head when they go behind. And certainly it's a good perspective on what you give towards Neymar because certainly all eyes and like you said, the pressure of this World Cup really is on him because he is and has been kind of the flag bearer for Brazil for the last decade or so. I just wanted to ask really on your perspective, given the fact that you followed him throughout his entire career, what he's done at Santos, in Europe and on the Brazil national team, really from that perspective, how will Neymar be judged if he does not win this World Cup? Because certainly this is someone that obviously might indeed surpass Pele's record of the most goals scored in a Brazil shirt. But if he doesn't win this World Cup, you know, what is really the legacy of Neymar as a whole in, in Brazilian society, in Brazilian football history? Well, uh, he will be seen as a, as a disappointment, I think. I mean, there are only two possible results in Brazil when it comes to a World Cup. And e- even academic books talk about World Cups that Brazil won and World Cups that Brazil lost. You know, as if it was 50-50, as if there's only, there's only one opponent. Uh, so I, I feel sorry for them sometimes because it can be so hard for them to really enjoy the journey um, because the only thing that really matters is, is getting to the final and winning it. So the, the pressure is, is, is absolutely immense. And all right, and if, if, uh, if, they, if they don't win, but he does wonderful things, He's not going to be. He's not going to be as attacked and as seen as a disappointment, uh, as is the case if they don't win and he he doesn't do wonderful things. It really is a little bit all or nothing. Um, he there's been so so many expectations placed on him to win not only the World Cup but also to win that you know the FIFA Player World Player of the Year award that he that, that he hasn't done. Uh, it, it, it's such a hard. It, the, the bar has been set so high for him all the way through, you know. And 
Uh, I understand why he winds people up. You know, he winds me up. But he is a wonderfully, wonderfully talented footballer. Uh, and uh, I can't really understand when, when, when people are so anti him because even with all of the, the negative side and all the rolling around and all the histrionics, he brings things to the football field that only a handful of players can bring. But it really is all or nothing, I think, for him in this World Cup. Hence the fact that, you know, the explosion of these other other attacking talents is is so positive. You know, since losing that, that Copa America final to Argentina, Brazil, I think, are 10 wins, three draws, no defeats, 30 scored, four, four against. That's an informed team, isn't it? Now, Tim, I do want to jump in here because I want to get us to the prediction part of the program. Um, and I know many, many journalists that we've interviewed over the years hate this part. Um, so I would ask you, um, as I would ask everybody else, what do you think um, a successful World Cup would be for Brazil? I think I know the answer to that. Um, but what would winning their sixth title um, and obviously unprecedented, what would that mean to the people of Brazil? What would that mean to Neymar and Chichi um, and, and the, 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 uh, the team in general? Well, it's uh, a difficult question to answer because it's such a strange situation that we're having in Brazil at the moment, in part because of the, world, the, the, the timing of the World Cup. The World Cup comes hot on the heels of, of a really, really polarizing election where one side of the, the debate, the far right, has more or less hijacked national symbols, including the yellow shirt. And at the moment, if you see someone out in the streets in a, in a yellow shirt, you can pretty much guarantee they're a supporter of the far right. Uh, so it's going to be very, very strange. When all, the indication would seem to be that the far right, that Bolsonaro is going to lose this, this, this election. And the World Cup could then be a moment where all of society reclaims this, this yellow shirt, which belongs to everyone. It doesn't just belong to one, one um, political current. Uh, so in that sense, a victory transcends football it would be i think the most important brazil world cup win certainly since 70 and maybe even since 58 you know the first time around uh it would be a moment of a perhaps of a society perhaps it would symbolize a society trying to pull together if that's possible in you know in, in the aftermath of an extremely polarizing election campaign um but we're getting ahead of, ahead of ourselves here. You know, I mean, yeah. there's some good sides in this World Cup. You know, I, I, I would, uh, uh, Brazil might be the bookies' favourites, but Germany scare me. You know, France without individual talent. Uh, Argentina are, are in it as well. But as I say, it's going to take a good side on a good day to, to stop Brazil winning it. From my personal perspective, I think if they reach the semi finals, then you can't possibly see that as failure. And it will be seen as failure if they lose in the, in, in the semis, but uh, you know, especially if they lose seven one. But that ain't going to happen. Um, but for me, if 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 I would be disappointed with this side if it doesn't reach the semi-finals. So, you know, in closing, obviously the term Canarinho, which is one of the terms that describes the Brazilian national team, um, to see it uh, politically returning the yellow jersey to the people of Brazil, I think would be something fantastic to say the least. Uh, Tim, I, I want to thank you for joining us and helping us breaking down Brazil. It is always, always, always a highlight and a pleasure when we have you on. All the best to you and good luck to Brazil as they make their way to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. Well, good luck to everyone. Let, let's hope, because I think we need a great World Cup. I really think we do. You know, and I, don't, I don't think the World Cup, from a 
from a spectacle point of view, from a footballing spectacle point of view, I, I, I don't think it's been the game's main event for a while. And, and in a time where it's increasingly hard for clubs to compete you know, for the top prizes, you know, because because of the disparities in money, um, the World Cup is 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 more open. Um, there's more possibilities of, of shocks and upsets. And to have that together with a high level of football, which I think we're going to get during the World Cup, um, I think football needs it. I think it needs a, needs a great World Cup. Uh, and I'm confident it's going to get one. And special thanks again to Tim for joining us on the show. Last but not least, we have Sonja Niksevic, Serbian football journalist and our own personal World Cup kit expert, joining us to break down Serbia as they head to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. So without further ado, the Sonja Niksevic interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football to preview Serbia as they head to Qatar to compete in Group G of the 2022 World Cup, Sonja Niksevic, a Serbian journalist that is based in Spain. Sonja, welcome back. It is always a pleasure to have you on. I want to start out with your uh, ties and links, uh, if you could tell the listeners, to Serbian football. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me again, guys. Always lovely to chat about all things football from around the world, especially Serbia. So, uh, yeah, my ties and links. I'm Serbian and I have, I now live in Spain, but I lived in Serbia until 2012, where I worked for Serbian newspaper. I've since worked for FIFA, covering the Serbian national team at the World Cup in Russia, which was a complete dream come true. And this year, I am not going to be covering Serbia because I have work here in Spain with club football but so i'm going to be enjoying the world cup as a serbian fan and just sitting back and hoping that well we show the world that we're really really good at football and i think it's a, it's a wonderful tie-in to really what we saw over the last four years from serbia because i think you know we're going to talk about the the players that they have which i think is is an amazing crop of players that that they have at their disposal but looking at what they were in 2018 obviously they were drawn in a really difficult group with the likes of Brazil, Switzerland, and 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 um, I'm trying to forget the, the Costa last Costa Rica, team. Costa Rica, correct. Thank you. And so it, it was really uh, it was their first World Cup after some time, and I think it was in 2010. So they're back to a second straight World Cup, and they actually got into qualification really, really impressively because they did finish above the likes of Portugal, beating them in in a in a good game in in Lisbon, and obviously getting a result over there and in Belgrade as well. So they finished um, qualification unbeaten, six wins, two draws. And and I guess that's really ties into my question, Sonia. It's just like, how have you really assessed the team in, in 2018 and kind of the evolution in really seeing a kind of cr- new crop of players come up? And and now I guess the, the, the overall mood for this team heading into the World Cup in a couple of weeks. I mean, I have to say that We haven't had this much optimism around the Serbian national team in a long, long time. And it's easy to see why, because one of the most exciting strikers in Europe right now is Dusan Vlahovic, who plays for Juventus and who's not maybe having the greatest run. I mean, the club isn't having maybe the greatest run at the moment, but Vlahovic is still seen as one of those killer number nines, which is an exciting time to be talking about a Serbian player when you have the likes of Haaland and Mbappé. And like in that top crop of five strikers that are currently being talked about, there's a Serbian, which is incredible. 
And um, the other thing is that we have Alexander Mitrovich, who plays for Fulham, who is in the form of his life, both in, uh, he was in the form of his life in the championship last year. He's playing really well in the Premier League now as well. And especially for Serbia, he is on fire. He recently reached 50 goals for the national team in 76 matches, which is an incredible statistic where both Ronaldo and Messi, for example, needed more than 100 games to reach 50 goals for the national team. And Mitrovic has done it in much less than that. So we have a striking force that this team hasn't seen in a long time since, or I mean, this national team hasn't seen since the 90s when we played as Yugoslavia. There's a really good midfield where you have Tadic has, has kind of grown into being our captain and this will be his first World Cup as captain and you can really see how he's the one leading this team from midfield both um, in a football sense but also mentally and I think that there's a confidence around this team that they can actually both get goals but also kind of defend and not let in as many and like you said like we qualified top of the group ahead of Portugal and which nobody could have predicted obviously and um and yeah there's there's just so much optimism because there's a really good crop of quality players a lot of which were in the team in Russia as well but have just kind of really matured in these four years and I really hope that they can show both individually and as a team that they can get out of the group and and really play as one of the well, let's say dark horses of the World Cup. Now, Sonia, I wanna I wanna go ahead and start uh, looking at their path in this group because Group G is certainly uh, a difficult group to say the least. They're going to open their tournament against Brazil, certainly one of the favorites to win this entire tournament on November twenty fourth. They then face um, they then face Cameroon and then close it out against Switzerland, which could be a match that will um, will be for that second spot. Uh, Brazil has familiarity against uh, two of these three teams. They've they've played Brazil at the 2018 World Cup. They've played Switzerland at the 2018 World Cup, losing to both teams. How is this time different for them, and how do you think this group pans out now that there's some familiarity for this team moving into this group? Right. So, I mean, it's it's very funny that two out of the three teams that we played at the last World Cup were facing again. So, and yeah, like you said, we lost against both of them. So, might be time for a rematch. We'll see. Um, I have to say that I think Serbia playing Brazil as the opener to the World Cup could be a really good thing for us. So, it's a mentality thing, but Serbia and Serbian clubs in general have this very strong underdog mentality which when they play a team that is supposed to like play them off the pitch and win easily like the likes of Brazil they almost have a bigger chance of winning just because they go into it like in fighter mode completely so and I think obviously everybody's going to be so kind of illusion to play the opening match of the World Cup against Brazil one one of like the, the biggest teams in the world right so, and also, I think what's important here is that Brazil is a team that historically starts World Cups off quite slow or starts international tournaments off quite slow, which means that, for example, at the World Cup in Russia, they drew 1-1 with Switzerland in their opener. And then we played them as our last match of the group where they beat us 2-0 quite easily, actually. So I'm hoping that this time around, because it's the other way around where we play them first, where Serbia is going to be like, 
all cylinders firing, ready to play, ready to show what they can do in their opener against Brazil, while Brazil are going to be kind of like possibly underestimating Serbia, being like, well, yeah, it's our opening match. We still have two matches to go. It's not that difficult of a group for us. So I think the key for us, just like the key for Switzerland was at the last World Cup, is possibly getting a draw with Brazil in the first round and then kind of like going into those other two matches with already a point secured. The other thing is obviously Switzerland, who's now going to be possibly, like you said, the deciding match, the last match of our group. There's a lot of history between Serbia and Switzerland that went down in the last World Cup. They have a lot of players who are of Albanian origin and Kosovan origin, which causes political tension, which should not be part of the game at all, and which is exactly the reason that I wanted to avoid Switzerland again in this draw, but wasn't to be. Um, I think that this is where the Serbian team is going to be put to the biggest test, not just on the pitch, but mentally. My my issue with Serbia's national team has always been the kind of lack in mental stability to get out on the pitch when there's more than just footballing factors at play. And that's the issue with playing with Switzerland, where the media hype is going to be so big because of what happened in Russia, because of the rivalry that they're on more than just a footballing level. And I think the biggest test for this team will be, will they be able to overcome all the side noise around that match? And like to take it in a sense of we want to get revenge for that loss in Russia, but at the same time, not let that overcome the fact that on paper, they are a much better team than the Swiss team. And I think that's the only thing that should matter, that it should be just about the football. So if this, these players can think about it just as a football match, I think that they can get out of the group. Now, obviously, looking at these players who could indeed help this team uh, moving forward, I mean, yeah, you didn't mention the likes of Vlaovic and Mitrovic in the attack and, and Dusan Tadic, but yeah, I agree. I think this is a side that obviously is playing really, really around all of Europe, basically, in the top five leagues. A lot of them in Italy, a lot of them in Spain. And, you know, I think certainly a lot of people really did fancy Serbia because of their their team and their talent, that they could indeed go very far in this tournament. So I just wanted to ask you, uh, Sonia, just like how do you feel as if, though, this team could indeed be successful from a player perspective? I mean, certainly... I think when you have a, a striking duo, and not even to mention the likes of Luka Jovic, who you know is still 24 and obviously is is doing decently well at Fiorentina, but you know for this side to be successful, who are those players that do indeed need to step up? And also, if there maybe are some that are perhaps a bit under the radar that could indeed make an impression at this World Cup, uh, who do you feel that it could be? Hi, right. So I think. What's always been the case with Serbia has been that we've always had really exciting players and good names, and we've never actually managed to make a mark in Europe past the group stages at any big competitions. And what people have asked me has always been like, how is it possible that you didn't qualify for the Euros or didn't get it out of the group at the World Cup? You have such good players. And I've always said, it's a mentality thing. These players as a team somehow just fall apart when they're all together and I think what I hope to see now is there being more of a coherence between these players we have for example Kostic and Vlahovic who now play together at Juventus we have 
Tadic and Mitrovic, who obviously Tadic plays in Ajax, Mitrovic plays in the Premier League, but they have a connection where Mitrovic has scored 16 goals that have been assisted by Tadic, for example. They've been playing at the World Cup together for in the national team for a while now. And I feel like there's a feeling of belonging that's greater than before in this team. And I think a lot of that has to do with our new national team coach, who's uh, Dragan Stojkovic, who's a former national team legend um, and a former Red Star player. And he's one of Serbia's legendary footballers from the 90s. And he's the kind of player that commands respect in a way that previous managers haven't. And I think he's has a lot to do with the good atmosphere that's currently in the team, but also like a mix of good atmosphere and really kind of focused hard work. So I think he's doing a really good job in making this team a team. And yeah, I think the players that are going to be, the focus is going to be on is obviously going to be the players in the attack. Vlahovic and Mitrovic up in attack. We have this amazing midfield of Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, who recently captained his first match for Serbia in the Nations League. We have, obviously, Tadic, who is the team captain and who's going to have a big role in keeping the team's mentality in check, I think. And, yeah, so those are the names that have almost kind of become household names in European football now. But there are a couple, like, there's not much is being said about our defense, but... They, for example, stopped Haaland from scoring in the Nations League against Norway, which not many defenders around the Premier League can say. Um, so we have the likes of Stefan Mitrovic, for example, who's playing in Hatafe. We have the likes of Pavlovic, who's in Salzburg. And a couple of others. We have Nikola Milenkovic, who's playing in Fiorentina. But I think somebody who could be an unexpected, have an unexpectedly big role at this World Cup is our goalkeeper, who's Predrag Rajkovic, who just recently signed for Mallorca. And yeah, who's getting the experience of playing in La Liga against some of the best strikers in the world. And who's actually managed to keep three clean sheets in La Liga so far, which also hasn't been easy. For example, Real Madrid's goalkeepers haven't managed that. Um, so I think that he has really grown into, he was, for example, Serbia's third keeper at the World Cup in Russia. And he's since matured and is having a really, really good start to the season and had a really good season previously. So I think he could be one to watch that ha- isn't a household name, for example. Now, Sonia, I want to jump into the uh, the prediction part of this. And, you know, looking back at Serbia's history, they have not gotten out of the group stage since they were part of the uh, former Yugoslavia in 1998, uh, having, uh, having lost out at the group stage the last three of the World Cups that they've qualified at. Um, Looking at this team now, looking at this group, what would be your prediction for uh, this Serbian side? How, th- how far do you think they'll go? And if they do make it to the final or even win a World Cup, um, what would that mean to this Serbian side? A very talented Serbian side, but certainly um, not as successful on the World Cup stage as they'd like to be. What would, what would that mean for them and for the people and even for you personally? I mean, I think right now, Getting out of the group, like you said, Serbia as an independent nation has never made it out of the World Cup. <laughs> Serbia as an independent nation has not recorded more than one win in a group stage match. So honestly, getting out of the group is a dream here. And I think this team can do much more. But just because historically they haven't, um, getting out of the group would be 
honestly a dream come true. And then that's the thing. When you get out of the group, it's last 16. It's knockouts. And then anything can happen. Then it's kind of like the luck of the draw and what happens there. I think looking at it on paper, like I said, the the match with Switzerland is a wild card because there's so much non-footballing issues involved that it's a question of how the players are going to get in, go into the match. Um, I also think Cameroon will be difficult because it could be a team that might be underestimated by everybody else in the group. And they have some amazing players. They have a very good goalkeeper, Nonana. They have Chupa Moting and so on. So I think that hopefully Serbia's coaching staff will do really good scouting and tell these players, listen, the key to getting out of the group, obviously the glamour match is Brazil, but the key to getting out of the group is beating Switzerland and Cameroon. And I think this team can do it. I think they have the right mentality to get out of the group and then see what happens in later in, in the knockout stages. I would say that this team has the quality for last 16 and then uh, an incredible achievement would be quarterfinals. Obviously like there's but a bunch of accounts on Twitter saying like, yeah, that's it. We have Lakowicz, we have Mitrovic, we're going to win the world cup. I don't see that happening, but I mean, Croatia made it to the finals of the last world cup. So we can always dream that this time that could be us instead of our neighbors. And honestly, this nation has been hurt by football results for years and years and decades even. So something like that would like to serve to close up some wounds that have been open for a long time uh, of many decades of underachieving in world football. So honestly, it would be a dream come true. A dream come true. The best Christmas present you could possibly get, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. Perfect timing for it. Uh, Sonia, um, it would certainly be an incredible feat uh, and something I think that we would all enjoy. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on and joining us and helping us break down Serbia. Uh, best of luck to them traveling to Qatar for Group G of the, uh, of the World Cup. And always the best to you. Um, and we look forward to having you back soon. Thanks so much, guys, for having me on. And special thanks again to Sonia Niksevich for joining us on the show to preview Serbia. Roberto, it is prediction time. Group G is certainly a, uh, a tempting, tantalizing group full of drama. Uh, I'm going to let you have the honors to go first, my friend. Well, I think let's, let's, let's all be straightforward. Let's get the elephant in the room uh, out of here. Obviously, the, the team that's going to win this group is Brazil. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. Let's not. <laughs> let's let's get that doubt out of the way uh, right there and there. I think Brazil. Not only will they win this group, I think they'll go unbeaten. I don't know if they'll concede a goal in terms of what um, your Argentina prediction was in their group, but I think they do go unbeaten. Three wins. Thanks for playing. We'll see you in the groups in the knockout stage. In second, this is the tough one because I think you know you have three quality sides that can definitely make a an impression at this one. I think when you look at it as a whole, I think this side for me can be a wild card at this World Cup just because you know they they look so good as a team and they really impressed me in World Cup qualifying. They really did, you know, getting results uh, in Portugal and you know the team that I'm talking about is Serbia. I think when you look at the names that they have, like the likes of Dusan Valovic, Mitrovic, Jovic, you know, even Tadic in the midfield and, and so many other players that are there. I think they have what it takes to really achieve what they couldn't achieve um, four years ago in, in, in Russia. 
that last game against Switzerland is going to be very, very heated. Not just because of, you know, kind of the the political, you'd say, connection between the Serbian players and some of the Swiss players. Um, I think this game is going to be very much one that will decide this group. And ultimately, I think Serbia do finish in second. I do think that just they'll closely edge Switzerland in this one um, via goal difference or, or even in that glass game. I think that's going to be the one that's going to decide it. I think that will be enough for me to see them into the knock, into the knockout stage. So with that, I say, and for Cameroon, as good as they are and the talent that they are, they have, I don't think they have enough to really match up all the other two three teams that are in this group so with that i say brazil winning first serbia in second switzerland third cameroon in fourth. so jumping in uh again like we said brazil will win three games um i, I think they're going to get a scare i really do um or you know i could even see them drawing the last match as it won't matter to them you know what i mean that that they kind of put out a b-side get everybody some playing time get a little rest because of the heavy schedule that we're seeing all these teams and these players go through in Europe. But uh, I do agree. I think, I think Brazil will win. I, I think they'll win all three. I think they'll win the group. Going from the bottom, though, uh, I, I do think Cameroon will finish fourth. There is a great deal of talent, uh, and they're a wonderful side. And I just think that they won't have enough to challenge Serbia and Switzerland. Having said that, the, the third place team, that match on, the, the, on December 2nd is going to be on fire. There is, like we said, the political implications of it. There is the revenge implications of it. There's the talent implications where both these sides are equally talented. Um, I think you will see a very heated match. I think you might see a very physical match to start as well. I'm not going to, uh, you know, we, we might want to do an over under on yellow and red cards on this one because I think there could potentially be fireworks. But I think ultimately. That match on December 2nd will decide who goes to the knockout stages and who does not. And I do think Switzerland will lose that match uh, to Serbia. I think Switzerland will finish third. I think Serbia will finish second in this group. And like we said, Brazil will finish uh, first. I think uh, the, the growth of talent in Serbia, although they seem to underachieve at these competitions, I think at this point in time, I, I think they will, you know, give you what they are labeled to give you. They're, they're ultra talented. They're very good offensively. They should be able to move the ball forward, scoring goals with Vlahovic, Kostic, uh, Dusan Tadic, uh, as well. I, I think they, they will be able to perform well. And I think they're going to challenge Brazil in their match, uh, in their opening match of the world cup. But I do think ultimately Brazil wins all three matches and Serbia will want to come for blood against Switzerland in that last one. So again, bottom to top Cameroon fourth, Switzerland third, Serbia second, Brazil first is the way I see it going as well, my friends. So for uh, to want to thank our guests again, Tim Vickery, Sonia Niksevich, Oliver Zessinger, and Suleiman Fullerin for joining us to preview Group G. For Roberto Rojas, I am Joe Ucello. Thanks for listening to our preview and good night. <laughs>